0: You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. If you have Bibles, we're going to be in Psalm 8 uh, today. And if you're using one of the black hardcover Bibles under the seats that uh, Pastor John mentioned a couple minutes ago, uh, page 450 uh, is where you'll find today's text. You'll hear me and others from our church from time to time share our vision, our heart as a church, that we as Liberty Church seek to live and speak and serve as the very presence of Jesus, that together we might enjoy and share the freedom of his gospel. As we seek to do that, it's critical that we be people who know not just what we believe or what we're called to do as Christians, but why Uh, In our day, you will have a thousand voices in your ear competing, telling you what to think, what to do. But there's a glaring absence under so much of it of any real foundation. There's a glaring absence of any of the why underneath it. And I wish that were the case only outside the church. I wish that were a thing that just kind of was out there. But the sad reality is, is it's easy for us to do the same thing in the church, among the community of Jesus' followers, to live on this surface level of the what's of the Christian life, the what to do, the what to think, rather than rooting ourselves deeply in the why. So one quick example, Christians are people who pursue sexual integrity. We don't pursue sexual relationships outside of a marriage between one man and one woman. That's a what. There's a lot of what's, I guess, within that. But do we know the why? Why? Are we compelled by the the why? Would we be able to articulate the why of that? And the same thing is true for all of these topics that we explore every January as we focus on mercy and justice issues. Christians are people who pursue God's mercy and justice in the world. We're people who care for refugees, we're people who pursue peace and reconciliation across racial and ethnic dividing lines, we're people who combat human trafficking. Those are all what's of the Christian life. Do we know the why? Human beings are image bearers of God. Image bearers of God. It is one of the most important, one of the most foundational why answers of the Christian life. God is the creator, and he created man and woman in his own image. Apart from that, truly, Why care? Refugees, racism, human trafficking, big deal. What's the big deal apart from men and women being created in the image of God? Today, as we are considering the sanctity of human life, remember, first and foremost, life has no sanctity apart from God. Life has no sanctity apart from God. But because God is, Because God made, and because of who God made people to be, life is sacred. It is unmatched in dignity and in worth. Psalm 8 not only celebrates humanity's place in God's created order, it marvels at God's heart for people. It marvels at the value and the worth that he has imparted upon human life. And if you and I are ever going to be people who truly and consistently champion the sanctity of life, it will come because we have saturated ourselves deeply in the unfathomable wonder of how God sees us, of how God sees human life. So through his word and through his spirit, may that be so even today. I invite you now to listen with open ears to this book that we love. This is the eighth psalm. To the choir master, according to the Giddith, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. Then verse 9, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. May God bless the reading of his word. Let me pray for us this morning. Blessed are you, God of all creation. You spoke in the beginning, and all things came to be. You spoke, and the word, Jesus, came to live with us, full of grace and truth. This morning, as we hear your word, as it is spoken to us, may you speak by your Spirit to each of us and each of our hearts. May all that we hear lead us to you. And we pray this through Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and our God. Amen. Two things uh, for us to see in Psalm 8 this morning. The source of sanctity And the summons of sanctity. The source and the summons. First, let's talk about the source of sanctity. Before we skip ahead to humanity's place in God's creation, notice that all of Psalm 8 is in reference to God himself. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. These bookends, these identical verses of 1 and 9, establish the source of sanctity. God's name, when we see God's name in Scripture, that's a way to summarize His character, His attributes, all that He is, all that He has revealed Himself to be. And David here in this psalm is saying the name of God, God Himself is majestic. He is beautiful and dignified. He inspires awe. Have you ever had a moment where you've just been utterly silenced by the beauty that is around you? Standing at the ocean perhaps, or on top of a mountain or at the edge of the rim of the Grand Canyon or looking up at the stars on a clear night or even simply standing in a field and just letting the warmth of the sun upon your face. To borrow Job's language, some of us are reading through the Bible in a year together right now and we've been in the book of Job. To borrow Job's language, the most powerful of those moments in your life are but the fringes, are but a faint whisper of the majesty of God. Between these bookends, though, Psalm 8, all of it, celebrates God. Did you hear all of David's references to you and your, speaking of God? Your name, your glory, your foes, your heavens, your fingers, you have set in place, you are mindful, you care, you have made, you have given, you have put all things under his feet. Here's the point. Sanctity of human life doesn't start with humans. It starts with God. It starts with God. The image of God is only worth something if God is. And we can't possibly begin to grasp the importance, the significance of bearing the image of God unless we first begin by seeking to grasp all we can of the majesty of God. God's majesty, in other words, is the ultimate why of life. In Psalm 8, it's when David just begins to scratch the surface of God's majesty that verse 4 pours out from him, just overflows from his heart. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. No doubt, David here has Genesis 1 and 2 in his mind as he pens these words. And as he's reflecting on the, the majesty of God's creation, the work of his fingers, he remembers that the pinnacle of all of it is human beings that in a unique way, distinct from the rest of all creation, as amazing as the rest of all creation is, people are crowned with some of God's own glory and honor. Moreover, it's not some kind of distant, dispassionate hierarchy. This is not God's org chart nestled in Psalm 8 or in Genesis 1. It says God is mindful of humans. God cares for them. As one of God's image bearers, you are the recipient of his special care and his special attention. In all of his majesty and glory, he sees you. He is mindful of you. He cares for you in a way that is unique in all creation. Do you see your own life and the value of your own life through these lenses? And do you see people Through these lenses. Do you perceive the people that you live near and work among and attend school with like this? Do you perceive the person who perhaps you encountered this week and begged you for money on the street? Do you perceive that person this way? Do you esteem the people who are on the complete opposite side of the political spectrum from you like this? Do you see people who are on death row? Do you see people who are even part of terrorist cells or something like that with these eyes and to be clear David is a realist scripture is incredibly realistic so this is not just a Genesis 1 and 2 world it's a Genesis 3 world a world that's been corrupted by sin the image of God in each of us has been marred by sin and that's why here in verse 2 David can write about the reality that God has foes and enemies it's not just a Genesis 1 and 2 world it's a Genesis 3 world Sin has assaulted the image of God in each of us, but it has not eradicated it in any of us. I'll say that again. Sin has has assaulted the image of God in each of us, but it has not eradicated the image of God in any of us. And by whatever standard you measure, the most despicable, unlovable human being on this planet remains an image bearer of God. Made a little lower than the angels, crowned with some of God's own glory and honor. See, we live in a society that believes abortion and euthanasia should be human rights. We believe that first and foremost because we don't know what a human is. If a human is just another material product of evolutionary or biological forces, then there is no real value or dignity. And maybe we assign some arbitrary value. Maybe we measure value by what a person can accomplish or a person can contribute, for example. But when we do that, is it then really a surprise when babies, especially unborn ones, aren't valued very much? Because what what do babies contribute? They take a lot more, as many of you well know. They take a lot more than they give. And isn't the same thing true of elderly people? Disabled people, once you start to require more effort and require more care than you contribute, what's the point of your existence? But because God has crowned humanity with some of his own glory and honor, it flips that paradigm completely upside down. Look again at verse 2. It's out of the mouths of who? Babies and infants the weak ones, the non-contributors, that God's strength is established. And the word there in the original language for strength means an acknowledgement of God's strength. It's the word for praise. The praise of God's power comes from the mouths of infants and babies. Think about that. Babies and infants can't speak, not intelligibly, and yet it's out of their mouths that God establishes praise out of their mouth that God has stilled, has silenced the enemy and the avenger. Because God has imparted this value on all of human life, he will use the mouths of those who can't speak to silence the mouths of those who oppose him. A few years ago, advocates for abortion started using the social media hashtag, abortion. Anybody remember that? It was 2018 that that kind of started, but it's it's continued into the present. Shout your abortion. Isn't it interesting that the word they used was shout? There will come a day when the mouths of millions of unborn babies and dementia patients and those born without the ability to speak, when the mouths of those who cannot speak will, in praise of God's power, silence those who shout their abortions the praise from their mouths will drown out all of the wicked shouting that happens in our world. And we will never back our way into this view. We need to see God as the source of the sanctity of life. The more that our culture has bought into and buys into a secular humanist view of the world, the more we lose any real reason to care about people, especially To care about the people who require more than they contribute. Why treat people well? Why value people? Why give dignity and respect and honor? Secular humanism has no logical or consistent foundation for that. Now, I'm really glad that that many of the secular humanists I know seek to treat people well in so many ways. But at the end of the day, they don't really have a reason to. It would actually be more logical and consistent to manipulate people, use people, even murder people for their own advantage than to serve people or to dignify them. But because of the majesty of God's name, because he crowns humanity with some of his own glory and honor, there is an unchangeable, ever-renewing source of the sanctity of human life. That's the source that's the source. Then, second, let's consider the summons of sanctity. How does, in other words, God's majesty and God's mindfulness, his care for us, summon us to live? Of all the potential answers to that question, Psalm 8 really puts forward two action and astonishment. Action and astonishment. The sanctity of life summons us to be people of action and people of astonishment. So, first, action. David here refers back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. As God crowns his image bearers with some of his own glory and honor, he also gives them dominion over the work of his hands. This is what's known as the creation mandate or the cultural mandate. From this unique place, humanity is given some of God's own authority over the rest of creation. And of course, wherever we see in Scripture, wherever we see in the design of God, authority being prescribed, it is always for the flourishing, it is always for the thriving of those who are under that authority. And so God granting dominion to people, to humanity, means that everything under that dominion is meant to thrive. And David rattles off a bunch of examples, sheep and oxen and beasts and birds and fish, all of the works of God's hands. Implicit in that, because who could have fathomed a day where we would have to make it so explicit, is that other human beings, other image bearers, would be valued above the rest of God's creation, the rest of God's works. That's the whole point. That's the very context of the cultural mandate in Genesis 1. That's the very context of all of Psalm 8. Value all of God's creation. Help it all flourish. But at the end of the day, people are always more valuable... Than plants. People are always more valuable than animals. There's a uniqueness to and a primacy to the value of human life because God has imparted his majesty, some of his own glory and honor upon human life. Centuries later, after David writes this, Jesus will say, you are worth more than many sparrows. And it's insanity that we live in a world where many would disagree. Now, please hear what I'm saying. It's not that creation care isn't important. It is. And it's not that animals and agriculture aren't critical, because they are. It's just that human beings are that much more valuable If we use texts like Genesis 1 and Psalm 8 to diminish the worth of any part of God's created order, we're reading it wrong. We're using those texts wrong. It's meant to bring the worth of all of it up. It's just that at the pinnacle of it is always the ones who God is mindful of, the one who God has special attention and special care for, which is human beings, his image bearers. Do our lives, do our words, do our priorities reflect this? the sanctity of life summons us to use this dominion, this God-given authority, to act, to uphold the value of human life. And that can and that should take many forms, some of which you've already heard from John, and we'll have some listed on our website this week and back at our welcome desk. But that should include serving at and donating to and praying for crisis pregnancy centers like Life Choices Clinic and Capillary Pregnancy Center. It should include us being part of foster care and adoption, either directly ourselves or supporting other families who do. It should include us advocating for legislation to protect vulnerable lives, whether they are unborn or elderly or those who are disabled. It should include us going to work to combat things like poverty and fatherlessness because, as the statistics show, year after year, one of the main reasons women seek abortions is because they're not in a stable relationship. They don't have a stable family or support system around them. And, to be consistent, their lives are just as sacred as the unborn life that is growing in their body. Don't make it one or the other. Don't make it one or the other. Enter into the complicated, yes, but the only faithful pursuit of upholding the sanctity of all human life. And here's the thing. The most pro-life thing that you and I could ever do is to help people grasp something of the majesty of God. The most pro-life thing we can do is to help people grasp something of the majesty of God and how in his majesty God has imparted his own glory and honor to human beings. Let us never be people who prescribe all of the what's of the sanctity of life, but rob the world of the why beneath it all. The sanctity of life summons us to action. It also summons us to astonishment. Astonishment. Like David in Psalm 8, we are meant to live astonished lives. Who are we that God is mindful of us? Who am I that God is mindful of me? When it comes to the sanctity of human life, we will, for our entire lives, battle presumption or suspicion or both when it comes to that truth. Presumption says, well, of course that's true. Look how amazing I am. I deserve to have God be mindful of me. I deserve this unique place in God's created order. Suspicion, on the other hand, says it can't possibly be true. It's a nice sentiment, religious pleasantry, but no one's really ever cared for me, let alone God. Or, Maybe that's true for some people. Maybe it was true for King David. But it's certainly not true for me. I'm too messed up for God to think this of me. In fact, maybe I've been party to undermining the sanctity of life. Maybe I've had an abortion and shouted it even. Maybe I've fathered a child and then bolted. Or maybe I've advocated for euthanasia. I've advocated for abortion. God might have special care for other people, but certainly he does not have that special care for me. Not anymore. Oh, friend, if you only knew. If you only knew how we who claim the name of Christ once lived as his foes and his enemies if you only knew how we continue to fall short of treating people, image bearers of God, with all the dignity and worth they are due, you would know, if you knew the hearts of the men and women sitting around you in this room this morning, you would know there is no magical group of perfect, put-together people that God puts his special care upon. Psalm 8 is talking about you. It's talking about you. In a Genesis 1 and 2 world, before sin... This is how God made you. And in a Genesis 3 world, after sin corrupted and marred the image of God in you, his response was not to cast you off forever. It was not to start over by crowning some other part of his creation with his glory and honor. No, he went to work so that the image of God in you might be restored. As the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 2, because the children, because the image bearers share in flesh and blood, Jesus Christ took on the same. So that through his death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. You know what Psalm the author of Hebrews was meditating on when he wrote those words? This one, Psalm 8. Just a couple verses earlier in Hebrews chapter 2, we read this. It'll be on the screen. It has been testified somewhere, and now you know the somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, the Son of Man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. And then the author of Hebrews goes on to interpret this in light of Jesus. Now, in putting everything in subjection to Jesus, God left nothing outside his control. At present, We do not yet see everything in subjection to him. And isn't that true? But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory... Should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Did you hear that at the end? By his sacrifice, Jesus brings many sons to what? To glory. Why? Because as an image bearer of God, you were made with and you were made for that glory. And God is so mindful of you, and God cares for you to the extent that when sin corrupted the glory and the honor of the sons of man, Christ himself became the son of man to go get it back, to restore and to secure it for all who would come to him. If somewhere along the way you picked up the impression that you are expendable, or that God is reluctant, that he's always just waiting to condemn you or to crush you when you step out of line. You will spend your life battling suspicion that Psalm 8 is true. That this is how God actually sees you. That he has actually crowned you with some of his own glory and honor. And that through the work of Christ, he redeems and secures that forever. Presumption says, of course that's true. Suspicion says, that can't be true. Astonishment says, oh my God, it's true. Oh my God, it's true. And we will never get over how incredible that is. We are never meant to cease marveling that the God whose name is majestic in all of the earth cares for you, for me. The sanctity of life absolutely summons us to action, so let us act. But let us act from a place of perpetual astonishment. Let Psalm 8 today be for you a bucket of cold water to wake you up from your presumption. Let it be for you a warm bath to soothe all of your suspicions. Let it forever cement the why into our hearts and minds. Because God is majestic in all the earth and because God sees you this way, there is nothing more sacred. There is nothing more precious than your life and than all of human life. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. We praise you, our Father, for the majesty and the glory of your name and your work. And we marvel that at the pinnacle of all your creation, you are mindful of us and you care for us. Forgive us for taking that for granted. Forgive us for for allowing that reality to become commonplace and assumed. Renew our awe. Renew our astonishment that this is how you see us, that this is how you see all human life. And then, as we just begin to scratch the surface of the, the love and the worth which you have imparted to us, then let how we live and the way that we love be increasingly a worthy response. We pray this all through the name of Christ and his finished work. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.